Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Farewells are often rather sad events, especially if you know that you likely will not see the, the person that you're saying farewell to for a long time, or, or perhaps, as, as far as you know, uh, never again in this life. When we say goodbye, for example, to someone who is moving away uh, to perhaps a, a faraway place, we think of, uh, perhaps we, we might think of all the things that we had intended to do with that person or, or for that person, but we just ran out of time or we just never really made the effort to do those things that we had in mind. Often, uh, the, the promises that we make to, to do our best to, to try to get together again and to keep in touch, uh, often those, those promises are, are just never kept. Or, or at the very best, the, the communication that we do make is simply not as, as frequent and as, as intimate, as close feeling as we would like it to be. It's, it's simply a poor substitute for being face-to-face together with that person. And of course, if it is death that takes a loved one away, then that farewell brings even more sadness. We have, in that case, no hope for a future reunion here on this earth. The only thing that we have left of that loved one is memories. But the farewell of Jesus gives a different picture. In our gospel reading for today, uh, Luke the evangelist puts it very simply when he says in, in verse 50, he, Jesus, led them out as far as the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was taken up into heaven. Now Luke doesn't give any description of any sadness on the part of the disciples as, as they watched Jesus visibly leaving them. They certainly understood that this was the end of Jesus' visible presence with them. Jesus had told them that he would be leaving them. He told them repeatedly that that would soon happen. But instead of sadness, we see the result in the disciples' hearts that their hearts were filled with great joy after Jesus left them. Now, when we confess the, the Christian faith using the, any one of the three ecumenical creeds and in the words of the Nicene Creed that we'll say today, we read, He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We make this confession not with sadness, but with joy, with our heads held high, joy in our hearts. We remember that the ascended living Jesus is now our living prophet, priest, and king. And from his position of authority there at the right hand of his heavenly Father, the living Christ is, is ruling over all things, guiding and directing us, his church, his believers. He sends messengers of the gospel to teach us, enabling us to be wise for salvation through faith in him as our Savior. And that he assures us in his word that he is now interceding for us. When the devil accuses us, when our, our own hearts accuse, accuse us, Jesus is there at the right hand of God the Father pleading for us, making intercession for us, reminding God, as, of course, as if God could forget about this truth, 
But Jesus brings it up again and again that I have died and paid for their sins. He is our mediator for us, and he is actively doing that for us each day. And of course, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of the universe, ruling and governing all things for our good, for the good of the church. And he promises that in his role as king and lord and judge, he will return in glory to judge us and all people. And by his grace, through the forgiveness of sins that he has won for us on the cross, he promises that he will take us to be with him on that day, to be with him in heaven where there is no decay, where there is no sorrow or sadness, where friends or, or loved ones will, will not move away or, or pass away and be separated from us forever. Look at the reaction of the disciples to that departure, that farewell of Jesus. After they had seen him go up into heaven, we read in verse 52 that they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple courts, praising and blessing God. They were joyful to see their friend, their master, their teacher, their savior go away. Why, why would they be joyful at that separation? Well, Jesus had promised the disciples and the whole world that he was going to suffer that they also, as his followers, would suffer as he did. He, he said them, he told, told them plainly that they would experience trouble and heartache and persecution and sorrow. He told them that the disciple is not above the master. And so just as Jesus was hated, so also they would be hated too. They would be cast out of the synagogues, the, the churches of their day. They would be excommunicated from that fellowship of, of their fellow Jewish people. So then why would they rejoice at Jesus' departure? Well, the reason is there's certainty that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. His resurrection first and now his ascension proved to them that he is who he claimed to be. And so after his ascension, they headed back to Jerusalem, back to that place where just weeks before, Jesus had been arrested and tortured and put to death on the cross in the most excruciating and shameful way possible. But they went right back there with great joy, proclaiming his name, the good news of, of his salvation in public and and the, the temple courts, the place that was most likely to attract the attention of those same jealous, unbelieving religious leaders of the Jewish people who had put Jesus to death. And they did that because of the joy in their hearts of, of knowing that Jesus' promise to them was true. That soon they would receive what Jesus had promised, what, what the Father in heaven would pour out on them, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. They had the assurance and, and they, they had, had the explanation of Jesus that all of these things had been promised by God in the Old Testament and that now they had all been fulfilled by Jesus. The disciples really believed what Jesus told them. In verse 45, we, we read about Jesus explaining those things to him. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. 
Jesus explained to them that all these things were the fulfillment of God's promises and prophecies in the Old Testament. That his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and now his ascension were the fulfillment of those Old Testament promises. And when Jesus explained it to them, the disciples understood and they believed that this is true. And through that faith, their lives were now given new purpose, new meaning. Jesus told them that they had a job to do. He said in verse 47 of our reading, that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, and in Jesus' name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And now the disciples were ready and willing to take up that task that Jesus gave them. Verse 48, he said, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus told them to go back in Jerusalem and and to wait there for the fulfillment of that other promise that he made, the promise to send the Holy Spirit to be with them and, and to give them power from on high. And next Sunday, we will celebrate the fulfillment of that promise, the festival of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in power on his disciples. The disciples showed their understanding and their acceptance of Jesus as Lord and of his promises to them. Verses 52 and 53, we read, They worshipped him and and were continually in the temple courts, praising and blessing God. In their worship, just as we do, they admitted their dependence on him, their total reliance on him for salvation and for every blessing. And they praised and thanked him for all those blessings that he showered upon them. In their praise, they declared their confidence that he is everything that he claimed to be. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the Messiah, the Savior that God had promised to send into the world. He is their Savior and their Lord. And even though they they now face the the unknown and perhaps very daunting and, and challenging task, of doing what Jesus told them to do, of going and making disciples of all nations, not just their their own fellow countrymen, the Jewish people, but all nations. In spite of that challenging task that they had been assigned, they began to do it immediately, right away, right there in the face of of that great danger of those, those unbelieving Jewish religious leaders who wanted to persecute Jesus and all of his followers they immediately began to share the joy of the victory that Jesus had won for them. Through faith, you and I have this same relationship that the disciples had with Jesus. Through the knowledge that God has given to us in his word about Jesus' birth and his his life and teachings and miracles, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, we have the sure and certain proof of his love for us. He ascended into heaven, but he assures us that he is not far from each one of us, that he is with us, with his eternal and steadfast love and blessing. Of course, in our lives, there may be times when we feel alone, but it's not because we have actually been left alone. It's not because we have been forgotten by God or Jesus our Savior. And of course, we realize that this is the truth, that that we are not alone when we remember what our Savior has done for us in his love. When we remember that he gave up his life 
for us, willingly. That he willingly died on the cross in order to free us from our sins. And he rose from the dead as proof that our sins really are forgiven. He ascended into heaven where at at the right hand of God the Father, he wields all authority and power for our eternal good. By faith, he assures us that we are joined to him, connected with him, that we belong to him. He tells us that he has purchased us and won us with his own life's blood. He assures us that we are now members of God's family. We are his brothers. We are dearly loved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father because of him. He has opened our minds. He has has filled our hearts with the truth and the assurance of his love for us. And so now, motivated by him, filled with that knowledge of his love, we can now express our faith. We can witness to his love for us. We can tell other people that, yes, Jesus lived and died and he rose again for me and for you too. Through Jesus, my sins and your sins are forgiven. By his power, you and I are declared to be his children through faith in him. So we rejoice with full confidence that there is no power on earth or, or in the heavens or under the earth, in hell, or anywhere else that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus our Savior. That is the reason for our joy. Even at the ascension of our Savior Jesus, his departure physically, visibly from this earth, we know we are sure that the ascended Lord Jesus rules over all things and that we belong to him. We have the promise that Every existing power and force will be governed and ruled and controlled by him for one purpose, so that we may be like him, so that we one day will see him as he is face to face, so that we will live with him in glory forever. Praise God. A hymn of glory let us sing, as we just did minutes ago. But then I suppose that we also still do have to be realistic about all of this too, don't we? We can ask the question, are you really filled with ascension joy? Do we live with the full and and joyful knowledge that this life is only temporary and that just as Jesus has ascended into heaven, so also we will ascend into heaven? There are all kinds of traps in this life that rob us of that joy. And unfortunately, we we ourselves often set those traps that steal our joy away from us. We demand, we, we long for the kind of happiness and joy that we can touch and hold and, and, and visibly uh, see and experience. We want a, a security that we can see and, and feel and experience right now I wonder what, what kind of answers we would give to the question, what would it take to make you really happy and joyful? Someone might say, well, if I just have enough money to pay all the bills and then maybe a little bit left over uh, for some entertainment and enjoyment or, or as long as I'm wishing, well, a million dollars would be nice. 
Another person might say, well, it would give me great joy to, to be able to give my children the things that I never had. Another person might answer, popularity or success, health for myself or for a loved one, peace on earth, and an end of war and fighting and violence and crime. My guess is that if, if we asked each person to give an answer, what would bring you true happiness and joy? There would be no end to all the different answers that we would get. But I imagine that the majority of the answers would demonstrate one thing, that, that faith alone, that our relationship with Jesus as our Savior, so very often in, in reality of the way we actually feel, seems to be inadequate for us. Not enough. We want more. Look at the disciples again. They had lost their friend and their master, their, their Lord and Savior. He was gone Uh, visibly departed from them, and now they were alone. Of course, they were not all alone. They were together with each other, but Jesus was gone. The the great miracle worker, the the one who had provided for them and protected them, was gone. And even more, he had promised that they would experience hardship, persecution, opposition, and suffering. And he had given them a a tremendous job for which they probably felt rather ill-prepared. What they had that made them joyful, what what sent them back to Jerusalem, as we read, with great joy, worshiping and praising and blessing God and witnessing to the truth of his love, was the certainty of their faith in Jesus, their ascended Lord. Their minds had been opened by Jesus. They understood the truth of God's promises in the Old Testament. They knew that Jesus had forgiven all of their sins. And so their lives were given purpose, the purpose of being witnesses to what they had seen and heard Jesus say and do. They depended on the truth of God's promises for them. Too often, our hearts and minds fail to be satisfied with that. We depend on and search for things or conditions that are limited, that are defective, that will pass away and will change. Usually none of those things are bad in themselves. None of the the things that we talked about earlier that we so often look to 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 bring us joy and happiness, family and friends and and entertainment and, and other enjoyments. Not necessarily bad things, but so often we want them too much. We depend on them too much. They come to to define our existence and and become too important in our hearts. Because we do, we know what it means also to live with sadness and disappointment when we don't have those things fully and perfectly as we desire. We know what it means to be afraid and unhappy. One of the disciples who was there, who witnessed Jesus' ascension into heaven and and who shared that joy of his ascension, the Apostle John, in talking about Jesus and his gifts, his word, his promises, and and fellowship with God through him, says in, in 1 John chapter 1, we write these things to you so that our joy may be complete. That our joy may be complete because we know that you have this same knowledge and faith and joy in the risen and ascended Savior, Jesus. The promise and the blessing of the ascended Lord 
enable you to accept that happy invitation to have full joy in Him. So, dear brother and sister in Christ, build your life on Jesus. Build your faith on Him through His Word and sacrament. Ask for those gifts that He has promised to give you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom your faith and your life depend from beginning to end. Don't forget the one who has blessed you with faith, the one who has promised you power, who gives you understanding, who gives you forgiveness, acceptance, and eternal joy, who gives you a place in his own family. There is no magic formula that will automatically wipe away all of your troubles and difficulties and and sorrows in this life. There is no guarantee that you will never have pain or tears in this life. There is no promise from God that he will remove all of your suffering on this side of heaven. You will experience the things that happen in a life filled with headaches and heartaches, family quarrels, and with messy lives of ourselves and the people around us. You will have to face things like dark days, lonely nights, broken promises. But don't forget where you have been and who you are and the one to whom you belong. You've been to see and to hear the King of the universe, the Lord and ruler of all things. You have heard his promise of full forgiveness and of adoption into his family as sons and daughters. You belong to your heavenly Father through Jesus, your Savior. He gave the the promise of courage, of power, of the ability to accept each day with a calm and certain joy. He knows, he, he knows everything that you're experiencing and that you're feeling in your heart. And he cares about you and he promised his, his blessing to you. He knows your weaknesses, your fears, and your doubts. He has been here, living here on this earth among people just like you. And he is still with you now to provide help in time of need. He promises, do not be afraid, because I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So I encourage you for the rest of the day today, think about the things around you, the things that you can see and touch and hold things you can buy and sell and and use and spend. And then remember, not one of them is going to make any difference at all to you 100 years from now. But your relationship with Jesus will. He is coming again, and you will see him as he is forever. Your joy is the certainty that your ascended Lord and Savior is ruling over all things as King and that he will return as your judge and Savior to take you to be with him. May you truly have joy now as you look forward to that day. Amen.